welcome to My Brain is a Wonderland, a podcast for neurodivergent women and the people who love them. Welcome back, everyone. You're here with your host, Emily, talking about everything to do with being late diagnosed with ADHD and autism. I wanted to start the episode today with just a little trigger warning for everyone who is listening. This episode is going to be about pregnancy, about my fears surrounding pregnancy and giving birth, and I will be discussing in depth the things that I find scary that could potentially be traumatic. So I just wanted to put that out there that if anyone has a trigger who's listening around birth, pregnancy, anything like that, just be aware that I'm going to be discussing this in depth and bail at any time. I completely understand. This episode came about because I have a Google alert set up for the phrase ADHD women and autism women. And a Google alert is you can set it up through Google and you'll be sent, based on a phrase that you pick, you'll be sent every day articles that are out there, different things that are appearing in the media. So I set that up so I can know what's going on in the research community, new things that people are talking about to do with ADHD and autism in women. And a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, I got an alert that said that was about autistic women and pregnancy. So it was a study by researchers from the University of Cambridge in the UK. They had 417 mothers with autism, which, wow, where did they find 417 mothers with autism to volunteer? That seems insane to me. Maybe it doesn't seem insane to everyone else. I know there's a lot of us out there, but to get that many of them who were pregnant and to do the study, I don't know. I was like, good on you. So 417 mothers with autism were in the study and then 524 mothers without autism. So a pretty good match there. And what they found is that 48% of the mothers with autism were likely or did experience anxiety during pregnancy. They were also more likely to be overwhelmed by sensory issues during their appointments, which makes sense. You're being touched a lot, presumably, like I said. Or no, maybe I didn't say. I've never been pregnant. I don't have children. So this is based around that fear that I don't have them yet. And so what will happen? But I know from doctor's appointments in general and just talking to women who've been pregnant, you get touched a lot. There's a lot of talk about consent for women. There's a lot. I have a phobia of doctors and hospitals. So that in and of itself, just going into a doctor's office, I find absolutely terrifying. Then they found with the mothers without autism in this study, 14% of them had anxiety. So that's 14 versus 48% versus uh, had anxiety. So that's 14% of the women without autism had anxiety, and 48% of the women with autism did have anxiety. Now to me, initially, I was terrified of that statistic, and just now talking about this in the podcast as I read these out, I'm thinking, but 52% of the mothers with autism didn't. So maybe that could give me some hope. Didn't have anxiety, right? They said they didn't. So we'll talk about that a little bit more later, about how I'm just thinking about this all negatively. It's kind of hard for me not to, 
And anyone who is a woman out there or someone out there who can get pregnant, especially if you're in the US right now, with regards to all of the discussions about women's rights, women's rights to their body, pro-choice, pro-life, it definitely is a scary time out there to be deciding to get pregnant. So with that research, it kind of sparked this idea in me to do this episode because I do have this ever-present fear about getting pregnant and having a baby. I am 36 years old, so if you've listened to any of these episodes prior to that, you'd know I'm 36 years old. I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD when I was 34. I don't have children yet. I've never been pregnant as far as I know. And it's getting to that point, guys, where if you're a woman in your 30s, you know, because you've known since your late 20s, it's getting to that point where society is will not leave me alone. I mean, right now, because I've been with my husband for 14 years, I'm 36, he's 37. Most of our friends our age, if they've been in a relationship, have children already. And they're, they will ask me. I mean, I will be asked multiple times in a weekend if I'm around people. When are we having children? Oh, you still want children? Are you having children? It's kind of an ever-present question in my mind. And I've decided with the holidays coming up that if anyone asks me, I'm going to say one of two things. I'm going to say I don't want to talk about that and put it back on them because they really shouldn't be asking. I could not be able to have children. My husband could not be able to have children, you know, be infertile. We could have had miscarriages. We could be trying and it's really emotional. So I'm going to put it back on them and say I don't want to talk about it and let them be uncomfortable. Or I'm going to say, why don't you ask my husband? Because I am so tired of people asking me. No one asks my husband, ever. No one asks my husband, when are you having kids? Oh, why don't you have kids? It's always me. So I'm going to do one of those two things during the holidays because I'm frankly tired of it. I wanted to talk about why I have these fears and maybe where they started and the process of all this stuff. So I'm going to start at the beginning of where I really feel like it happened. My mom gave birth to me when she was 19 years old. It was very traumatic for her. And she expressed that throughout my childhood and teenage years, which probably wasn't helpful, but it was clear of how traumatic it was. She was pregnant at 19. She was with my father at the time, so she did have that support, but he was already in the great throes of alcoholism. He died when I was four, so if she gave birth to me at 19, was pregnant at 18, four years later he was dead. So he was already in the throes of his alcoholism, and as much as I love him, I don't know how present he was for my mom who was pregnant and, you know, about to give birth and giving birth. But she tells me that, you know, the the doctor's appointments were traumatic. I don't know if my mom's neurodivergent, but I think she might be. That's just based on her being so similar to me and having a lot of the same things that I have that seem to be linked to my neurodivergency. But she talks about how they couldn't get a vein, which is 
and you always have to have a blood test when you go for your appointments and you're pregnant. And that's something I struggle with. My veins just disappear. I've been told, you know, that they could get blood out of a 90-year-old woman easier than me. So with my mom, when she was pregnant, they ended up having to take blood from her ankles, which I, my, you cannot see me. My eyes are scrunched up so tight because when I just said blood from the ankles, it made me just recoil into my body. I do not like needles. I do not like doctors. I have a huge phobia. And the idea of having blood taken from there, because that's where your um, veins protrude the most, right? That's where it's easiest to get them. I can tell that she had sensory issues with this and kind of overexposure and fear issues. And I know I would have the same. I mean, just the thought of that just makes me cringe and seriously just screw myself into a ball. Um, another issue my mom had was that my male cousin, her sister's son, was born 10 months prior to me. So throughout my mom's entire pregnancy, she was looking after my cousin, my male cousin. And when I was born, they didn't know what gender I was before I was born. That was pretty common in the 80s. I was born in 1986. And when I was born, my mom just shouted at the nurses, you know, what is it? What is it? Because she said if it had been a boy, she would have rejected me. This is something I was told as a child. If I'd been a boy, I would have been rejected. And I think these kinds of comments about how traumatic it was, how negative the experience was, just, I internalized those and really felt like, I don't want a child, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to birth anything. And also recognizing that I may have an almost similar experience, you know, to my mom. Another thing that I also share with my mom is that we have, we metabolize anesthesia very quickly. I've been told by a doctor that if you have redheads in your family, FYI, if no one's ever told you this, if you have redheads in your family or blonde people, if you're Celtic, you are more likely to have this. And what it means is when you're getting, you'll know if you're having a local anesthetic for tooth work or for dental work or having, say, a contraceptive put in, halfway through the procedure, you'll start to feel the pain. And it's because you're metabolizing the anesthesia too quickly. So when my mom had me, the epidural didn't work. They didn't know that in 1986 when she was 19. They didn't know that. So they put the epidural in, it didn't do anything. Or it did, and then by the time I came around, it was done. You have to pump in a lot more anesthesia into people who metabolize it quickly. I have that fear. There's just so many fears that link to my mom birthing me, and maybe I should go to my therapist about this, because, uh, I don't know, I feel like I'm afraid because she had such a terrible time, but we're also so similar that I feel like I would have that terrible of a time. Then the other thing, just in my childhood, my mom ran a preschool out of a church. I mentioned this in some previous episodes. And I went to that preschool when I was preschool age, and I would also go to that preschool when I had a holiday or I was sick. And those kids, I think it was a social thing. I didn't want to be exposed to that. It was a lot, you know, if you're eight, six, seven, whatever, and going to a room full of 30, two and three-year-olds, it's very jarring. And so they would make me cry. I would, if I had a day off, I would cry. You know, they would 
I would just not be able to deal with it very well. So I have this kind of aversion to children and aversion to, you know, the idea of just giving birth and being pregnant. So in my teens, I, you know, I didn't think about it when I was a kid, but in my teens, when you would start talking about it, you had periods, you talk about having a baby. I knew girls, 13, 14, who got pregnant and had babies. I was very anti having a baby. Seeing my mom have a baby at 19, my dad die, us living in, you know, my entire family. My grandfather was a coal miner. We didn't have money. We had kids young. It was very difficult. And the parents had to sacrifice everything and were angry about it. And it was not good for anybody. And so I didn't want to be young and pregnant. But then I also thought in my teen years, I just don't want to ever have a kid. Like, it seems horrible. It seems, I don't know. I really didn't like the idea of it. I got into my 20s. I was in a good relationship with my now husband of 14 years. I met him when I was 20. And I really kind of, I don't know what happened. I think it's a mixture of acceptance of myself, acceptance of what I wanted, what I could want, not relating it to my mom, right? Because what she wants and what she did is not necessarily what I want. But in my 20s, probably around 26, and I remember this because we moved back to Florida from California when we were 20, when I was 25, my husband was 26, and shortly thereafter, I started getting the baby fever. This kind of, um, just desire to have children, and it wasn't to be pregnant. I want to say that. I have had and still have a strong desire to adopt a child. I'm not exactly sure where that came from. I think several things, right? I think I've, I kind of rejected mentally the idea of being pregnant. It's so scary to me. And then in that same breath, I was raised in a non-traditional environment, right? I went to school with a lot of foster kids, adopted kids, immigrants whose families, you know, foster kids who had no parents, immigrants whose mom brought them here, they had no dad or what have you. My family was, you know, so-called quote-unquote broken up. My mom and dad split when I was two and a half. My dad died when I was four. I saw a lot of different types of family dynamics. And to me, you know, a lot of step-parents, that kind of thing. And to me, a step parent is not a doesn't they are a parent i saw these non-traditional families and they seemed normal and what i want and i'm not afraid of that i'm not afraid of you know people talk about you know i have a child that's adopted is it my real child i'm not afraid of that i can love someone as deeply as anybody more deeply maybe than some of the people in my family you know i in my biological family. That does not... Blood thicker than water thing. I'm not really completely supportive of that idea. I think it can be. It can't be. It, you can meet someone or have someone in your life that you completely accept and love as your own family. And I've done that with my husband's family, with my husband, with my dogs, I mean, I feel like they are from me, from my, me and my husband. I just accept that idea. And I've just always felt that draw for some reason. And that's what started happening in my 20s. I started feeling 
this draw to kids and adoption. Now, I am 36 years old. If you are a woman out there or anyone who knows anything about being pregnant, once you hit 35, you are classed as a geriatric pregnancy. Geriatric. That is like, you're an old lady, right? And there's lots of negativity about it, all this drama, like your kids are gonna be likely to have Down syndrome, they're more likely to have autism, blah blah blah. Which, it's stuff like that that I think maybe I should birth my own baby. You know, what if I gave birth to a child who was autistic? It's not that scary, because actually I would understand them. And I have, like, you know, an aversion to being touched in the morning. So if I have a child who's autistic, maybe they don't want to be touched in the morning, and that would actually be good for me. But then you could also end up with an adopted child who's autistic or neurodivergent. It's, I don't know. I'm really, as you can tell, I'm going back and forth about this whole thing. I just don't want to regret anything, and I don't want to. I'm terrified I'm going to get pregnant potentially have a baby, and and or die. I mean, I could die, for God's sakes. I could not die, but be irreparably harmed, you know, have a stroke. I've, you know, go through birth trauma so bad that I just don't ever connect to my child. I just am so scared of that stuff. I'm just so scared of it. But also know what I can and cannot do. So I don't know if I'm limiting myself or not. It's really hard to tell right now, but I tell you what. I want to get pregnant about as much as I want to go to a party on a Friday freaking night. Anyone out there who's neurodivergent knows how much I don't want to get pregnant right now. With all that, I'm also scared of all the sensory issues that are going to come along with it. You know, I women who've been pregnant talk about lack of consent. How people will just touch you, grab you, shove their hand inside you, do things they haven't, you know, just, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't like to be touched. I'm going to do an episode about that soon. I do not like to be touched at all. I will flinch really hard, even on my husband now, on certain places on my body, if I'm not expecting it. Not, I do not like to be touched. And even going into an appointment where I'm ready, I don't think I'm that ready to just be like, hey, hands going inside. Like, I, if that's happening on a regular basis, I really need to be prepared for that. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. Another thing is like choosing my doctor. I've never had a male gyno. I've never really had a male doctor since I was a child. And I'm really not comfortable with it. I don't want a man being my doctor where he's all up in there inside me and i sorry if that is offensive to anybody but that seems traumatic to me as a woman raised in society and i'll talk more about how i was raised i went to an all boys high school which is a crazy story and was really exposed to you know that scary side of toxic male culture that i know it's not all men but I have these fears. I don't want to be touched by a man in that way, medically inside me and stuff. But, you know, I had a friend who had arranged everything with her doctor, and then her doctor got sick a week before, or a couple of days before she was going to give birth or be induced. And so she had a brand new doctor she'd never met at her birth. 
It wasn't a man, it was a woman, but it was just a brand new doctor. That seems terrifying to me. You've spent all these months and then it's just some random dude or person who's, hey, nice to meet you, hand up in there. No, that sounds like my worst nightmare. I've also thought, oh, maybe I could schedule a C-section. You know, I've literally thought, you know, will they do a general anesthetic, knock you out and pull the baby out? Because that's preferable. I'm going to be quite frank with you. That is my dream. But general general anesthesia is dangerous. You know, my husband's family are all doctors. And he says, there's no reason if they're, you know, don't get knocked out on general anesthesia if you don't need to. Because there's always a chance you won't wake up. Which, sorry, if anyone's getting surgery, it's night I think it's ninety nine point nine percent you're fine, but it just like uh, and I have that issue with the anesthesia, so what if I'm in the middle of getting my c section and I start to freaking feel it, and in the past, let me tell you when I've said that when I had my wisdom teeth out, when I had contraceptive put in, and I said I can feel it, I had one of two responses, and they said either no, you cannot. So gaslighted me and just said, no, you cannot, or said, it'll be over in a minute. So knew it was true and just said, it'll be over in a minute, like deal with it. Uh, like, can you imagine I'm getting a C-section and they say either, no, you cannot, that would make me freak the freak out. I mean, I would freak out on the table or say, it'll be over in a minute. Excuse you, excuse you. You can tell guys I'm getting worked up about this because I'm so scared of this whole thing. I mean, and when I say scared and worried, I really mean like absolutely basket case that like if I was going to be giving birth or knew I was going to give birth, I might have a panic attack to the point where I need oxygen, that I would probably be crying for most of it out of anxiety and sheer overwhelm. And people say, you know, to be positive and if you're positive, it might change things. But the reality is the reality. You know, I can be positive. Positive, positiveness doesn't overreach my, doesn't cancel out my sensory issues. Okay. Just thinking it's going to be great doesn't stop the fact that touching me feels like hell. Okay. That's the reality. So I've thought about this. And if I was going to get pregnant, what I really would want is at least a doula. If you don't know what a doula is, I am English, now live in the US for the last like 14, 15 years. And doulas really only heard about, I heard about it in the US because in the UK we have free healthcare, midwifery is very common and you're provided with a midwife. And in the US, I feel like maybe doulas came out of having no healthcare, so you needed that support. But they're basically these birth supporting people. So they know what your what to advocate for, what your wishes are. They're trying to help you through it. But you have to hire them. You have to pay them. But I know I would need one, right? I know that I would need someone, other than my husband, who's going through it as well, to really be there for me, to be objective on my side and say, hey, no, that's not what she wanted. Or, hey, girl, um... They're about to do this. Are you okay with that? Because in the moment, I don't know that me or my husband would be able to be prescient of that, you know? Know that we need to do that. 
The other thing is that I would want a nanny for afterbirth. I mean, it sounds bougie, maybe, but I would want an I would want and need a nanny. You know, my husband doesn't get paternity leave on his career, so I would want him to be able to take at least two months off without work and to have a nanny through the first five years of their life. I mean, I would need someone there who could look after me, look after us as we had this baby. And with that is comes a lot of costs. A doula costs a lot of money. You just call up somebody who comes to the hospital when you're giving birth and is there for you. One-on-one, I'm sure that's super expensive. Having a nanny, I know that's super expensive. So there's all this stress there about all these things that I need and want, fighting against all these things that I'm not sure if I want. I really don't know. I really don't know. If you're a neurodivergent and you've been pregnant, had kids, if you've adopted neurodivergent, I know that's not easy. That's the other thing, right? Like I'm saying, oh, I'd love to adopt. That's not easy. Having people in your space, in your zone, you have to take classes. There's a lot of money that goes into that, a lot of stress. It just, everything about it is just throwing me through a loop. And it feels like this weight on my back constantly because of my age. Around, like I said, 26 to 30, it was like, it's coming, it's coming. Now it's like, you know, in uh, even if I, if I decide in five years I'm ready to be pregnant, I may not be able to get pregnant. You know, I'll be 41. Or I might, I might Leslie nope it and get two, uh, get twins, you know? Who knows? But I, we don't know. And people say, freeze your eggs. Like, they just pluck eggs out of your body and put them in the fridge. That's not how it happens, people. You have injections. They have to go inside you. I think with a, I want to say a local anesthesia. Hello, metabolizes anesthesia quickly. And they pull the eggs out of your fallopian tubes. You know, like, they're going in there. This is like surgery. This isn't just some easy thing. Oh, uh, yeah, blah, blah. I don't just have to jack off to get my eggs out. You know what I mean? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do any of this. Uh, but then I think about the beginning of this episode where I said 48% of autistic women who are pregnant have anxiety versus 14% of women without autism, right? If you do the flip of the glass half full, half empty thing, that's a half empty vibe, right? 48% have anxiety. Well, 52% don't. 52% of autistic women didn't have anxiety in that test. I'd like to think I'd be one of those women, but I just, I don't know. I'm trying to flip it positive. And then, like I said, with adoption, it wouldn't be all flowers and roses and easy. Sure, I wouldn't have to give birth, but gosh, it would be difficult. So if anyone, like I said prior, if you've gone through this, reach out to me, please. I'd love to hear your perspective on it. I feel like a lot of women who have autism or ADHD and give birth don't actually, didn't actually know or weren't diagnosed when they got pregnant and gave birth. So what was that like for you without even knowing? And if you adopted while you're neurodivergent, what was that like? Why did you do it? What was the experience like? I'd love to hear from you guys. 
My Instagram, TikTok, and Gmail are my brain is a wonderland pod. So my brain is a wonderland pod at gmail.com or my brain is a wonderland pod all over the place. I'd love for you guys to leave a review, follow me on Instagram, shoot me a message, and I'll see you next time on my brain is a wonderland pod. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.